This week in retail news, H&M is trimming its global fleet as it refocuses on e-commerce. Meanwhile, Levi's just launched its own secondhand e-commerce shop. And this just in, grocers are already prepping for another round of product shortages. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, October 12th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by guests Guy Block and Joey Petraca. Guy is the CEO of Bring, a global technology provider helping organizations improve customer experience by making fast, convenient, and cost-effective deliveries a reality. Joey Petraca is the co-founder and COO of Chicory, where he leads business development efforts to implement solutions for grocery retailers, CPG brands, and publishers. Joey, Guy, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having us. It's great to have you. And before we dive in, I just have to mention this because I saw it on your LinkedIn. Joey, you were featured as a Forbes 30 under 30 this year for retail and e-commerce. Was it an overnight success or have you been at this for years? Because I know that sometimes people assume that it's just like, you know, quickly successful when really you've been working on it for so long. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great point. <laughs> um, no, definitely not an overnight success. So my co-founder and I have been working on this since about 2013. We started it when we were seniors in college. So it's been a very long road and you know, a lot of late nights, a lot of hustle. You know, we felt very lucky to get that recognition. It felt really good, but it's a very long road. It's not like in the movies. <laughs> um, no. That's success. So, wow. So, yeah, you've been at this for probably about eight years then. So, really cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, the first topic of three that we'll cover today is about Levi's. The retailer announced that they are launching a secondhand e commerce shop. So, if you're looking to make some extra cash, this holiday season, Levi's will pay you to let go of your old jeans. And sometimes we should let go. The new online store features gently loved pre-worn Levi's apparel. This includes vintage items, which are sourced mainly from the brand's own consumers. And those looking to sell their items can drop them off at designated stores. Levi's professionally cleans the items and then they add them to the secondhand site. Pretty cool stuff. Joey, I'll pass this to you first. What are your thoughts about Levi's new secondhand initiative? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a really smart move just from a personal and professional perspective. So I think the thing is, right, like Levi, vintage Levi's are incredibly popular. They're well-made. They fit into current denim trends and people are already doing this. I live in Brooklyn. And if you go to any swap meet or flea market or anything, it's filled with vintage Levi apparel and jeans. So I think there's kind of, you know, this idea of they're latching onto this trend to this thing that's already happening and trying to, you know, control that and capitalize on it, which I think is really smart. But the you know, the second half of all of this is just the idea outside of the quality of their products of encouraging people to thrift, you know, encouraging people to adopt more eco-conscious habits in every aspect of their life. And, you know, I think it's a really smart move for them to take. And our background is in the grocery industry. And I think you can see similar trends there, right? With companies like Misfits and Imperfect Foods kind of leading the way. It's not secondhand food. Um, that would be a little <laughs> weird. Um, but you know, it's the same sort of concept, right? Where they're making it easier for people to be environmentally friendly with how they shop. So 
I think on both sides, um, from a business side and controlling that market. And then from an environmental side, it's really smart move. Yep. And I like that you touched on misfits. It's a really cool comparison to the grocery industry. And I think you're right. I think that's part of control. You mentioned it's good for the brand control to manage their own secondhand. Guy, what are your thoughts? You know, when I think about what Levi's just uh, uh, did, I look at that from a couple of hats. I'm looking at who's winning from this move. I typically, you know, I will have more respect to companies that make moves that more than one entity wins. And in this case, Levi's make so many participants in this market win. First of all, the global world, right? And the sustainability, the fact that they they are uh, encouraging and supporting and uh, sponsoring a whole activity where we can have people recycle their genes and at the same time also win some money from themselves. That's a great thing uh, to do. And I think that's a gift that they're giving to the world. I think specifically for them, from a brand perspective, think about the message they're sending that their merchandise has a value and it's a lifetime value. And Nike also has it. Uh, It played very well for them. And those loyal, loyal, but loyal consumers, they go after the secondhand market. It's a great move there. However, there is big but here. And by doing that, they're actually moving into the online world. And online is very, very different than offline. Very different uh, ball game and very different uh, rules to the game. And those rules were dictated, but no others than the large marketplaces we know. If it's uh, Amazon and Instacart, in the food industry, it's like there are many of them now. And they set the bar very high. And they said that for you to win in the online business, you need every delivery to be convenient, cost-effective, and fast. And if you cannot uh, keep it, 70% of the people, that's what they're looking for when they buy. 84% of people will not forgive you if you messed up their order. What does it mean? They have to move into that online and perfect that because they don't want to lose the other end of that. And that takes uh, technology and it takes also logistic network and it all has to be digitized and controlled from uh, one place. And that's a digital transformation that they will have to go through. So to summarize, on one end, what an amazing move. On the other end, now they need all the help from the market to stand up to that from the ecosystem. Good point, Sky, around who's winning from this. Many parties are winning. It's a win for sustainability for the customers who probably will get And I'm assuming here they might get more bang for their buck if they go directly to Levi's versus sending it to another reseller platform, for example. And I think you're right. The shipping is the hardest part. It's going to be such a challenge for the upcoming holiday season because all the reports are saying most people will do their shopping online. I will say I think that there's still going to be like every year those last minute shoppers that run to the store the day before Christmas. Shout out to my brother. Um, But it's definitely speaking to the strength of its brand. I mean, Patagonia can do this. Rainbow Shoes can do this. Levi's, Nike, as you mentioned, Guy, but not every brand can. And I think it's important for the ones who can to really consider this because circular fashion is huge. So thank you for your points there. Um, Did either of you want to add anything else on this topic before we move to our next? As Guy was talking, I um, had another thought there just about how I think this move by putting this thing that's already happening online, right? Like, yes, there are a lot of these logistic challenges, but I think it's really interesting because, again, it's already something that's popular with their products, right? In kind of the offline world and these secondary markets and people kind of doing it themselves. And what they're doing to a certain extent is building equity, right? In that process. 
instead of having to, you know, go to these local markets and haggle for something, right? They're making it much more easy for any consumer to, to access, which I think is really cool. I hope we see a lot of other brands who have similar kind of history and similar lifetime value to their products do this, make their products more accessible and build that equity into their business model. Mm-hmm. And actually, before I jump to the next segment, I'll just mention that Levi's does have a super cool store in New York City that Veltech helped build, and it has customization options on site. So there's actually a tailor. When I was visiting, I met the tailor who was on site that day, and she was putting custom patches onto denim jackets. And it's just really cool. So shout out to Levi's and all of the amazing things they're doing, both in-store and now online. Let's move to our next rundown. But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated end-to-end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently, scale seamlessly, and deliver remarkable customer experience. Find out more about what Vtex can do for your business at www.vtex.com. We're covering a really hot retailer. It's H&M. The Swedish fashion brand announced it's planning to close hundreds of brick-and-mortar stores as a result of COVID-19 and the shift to online shopping. So H&M's competitor, Indidex, the parent company of Zara and several other fashion brands, also plan to close as many as 1,200 stores this year and next. Indidex said it expects online sales to reach more than 25% of its total sales by 2022. So that's up from 14% just last year, 14% to 25%. That's a huge jump and the company will invest in its existing technology platform to make it more agile and data-driven. Guy, I'll pass this one to you first. What are your thoughts about H&M and Inditex's decision to trim stores and ramp up their online efforts? Yeah, first of all, I think uh, what we're seeing here is a trend, and it's very important to pay attention to this uh, trend. And obviously, the pandemic uh, accelerated that uh, by far. But uh, there are a few facts here. First of all, food traffic is down, decreased dramatically. People either don't want to go into stores or in some countries like us here in Israel, we're in lockdown, we cannot go to stores. And that's a major part of their revenue stream, the offline. This is a challenge and, and almost every company now is finding themselves moving into online. When I looked at the Q2 earning reports of the public retailers, you could see three-digit uh, growth year over year on their uh, online business. So I think this trend is happening. Another thing that is happening in the trend that consumers are being rewired and over the last few months, we're getting used to order food and groceries and commodities, retail commodities through marketplaces, through online. It became very convenient, very cost-effective, and very fast, and we're doing great. Post-COVID, I don't think we'll stay in this extreme, but we will not go back to what it used to be, which means, and that's a very big message to the retailers, they have to move to online, and they have to scale up and optimize to do that. Now, specifically for uh, H&M, I think by them trimming the stores, they have to, they're taking liabilities on their assets. So they have to balance that with the revenue stream, but they have an advantage. They have a very big advantage that marketplaces do not have. And that advantage is that they are closer to their customers, to their end customers. And by that, they can actually provide so many fulfillment options and create such a compelling experience 
that they can differentiate themselves in the market. So if you're a customer now buying online from the brand, you can do with the, the store, they can do buy online pickup in stores, buy online pickup in locker, curbside, they can do home delivery, they can do returns, and everything is kind of in the neighborhood, in the town, in the city. And that gives them a very big advantage. So I think it's a question of balance and understanding where the demand is coming from and where to place my stores, but at the same time, balance that with their online strategy. Mm -hmm. And you made a good point about marketplaces and the growth there. Joey, do you agree with what Guy was saying? Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's even a little bit bigger than that. So, you know, I think from my perspective, this is an acceleration of a trend that was already happening, right? Which is no surprise. A, consumers are moving online, (laughs) you know, and and making more shopping decisions there, at least to start. We live in an omni-channel world. But B, um, and and I see this particularly with H&M, going back to the Levi's discussion a little bit, right? It's about consumer reaction and where consumers want to buy. So as consumers move online, there's a lot more access to knowledge and information. And people are making much more informed decisions about what types of products and clothes in particular they want to buy. And so... You know, I think um, there's also a rethinking of what is fast fashion and mean in an online world, you know, in a world where there's so many new companies out there that are at a, you know, resale companies or developing kind of different supply chains and practices to develop their products. Not that this is, you know, an inevitable extension of that by any means, you know, them closing down these these stores, but it's a little bit where we were headed already. And I think what COVID has done in many industries from fashion as well as what we've seen in grocery, it's accelerating trends that were already there. It pushed things forward that might have happened, you know, 18 to 24 months from now, and it just made them happen right now. And so I think the smart businesses are are realizing that and just reacting to it right now and being realistic about it, rather than holding on to things and thinking that things are going back to normal. This is the normal, right? <laughs> this is the new normal. Um, it's not like things are going to go back to what life was like in February um, 2020 very quickly. And, and so I think you know this move kind of speaks to that, to the reality of that situation and the acceleration of these trends. Mm-hmm. And Joey, you made a good point about the trend acceleration. Because for those of you listening, currently H&M operates 5,000 stores. That's a lot of stores. I would assume many of them are in malls. And we know what's going on with malls is a bit bleak, especially right now and looking into the future. So it makes sense that they're trimming some of their fleet. They have maybe too many stores, and I'm sure they're making the right decision. I also do want to note that it might be a Gen Z trend. It might be because of the pandemic and economics. But Teen spending hit an all-time low during the pandemic, and who knows when that will come back. So there was a report release, Piper Samuel's, I guess, 40th biannual report, taking stock with teens, and it says that apparel spending fell about $507 per teen. So that's 11% lower than 2019, and um, that's probably where a huge portion of their revenue driver is, is with teens. Now it's time for our good news segment. Lowe's said last week it will give $100 million more in bonuses to hourly employees this month. The home and hardware retailer has paid more than $675 million in additional pay to employees during the COVID-19 pandemic. Starting today, Instagram users can now shop from the app's long-form IGTV video feature. Instagram will also begin testing shopping through its short-form video feature called Reels later this year. 
All right, let's talk about our groceries. So as consumers begin bracing for winter months, grocery stores are stocking up on items to prepare for a potential second wave of coronavirus. If we look to the U.S., the supermarket chain Southeastern Grocers purchased its Thanksgiving turkeys and hams over the summer, while United Natural Foods upped the stock of its herbal tea and cold remedies. Over in the UK, grocers like Tesco have already started to limit purchases of certain products in an effort to deter customer stockpiling. And supermarkets in the US and even Amazon are already experiencing another shortage of paper products. Um, Procter & Gamble reported to the Wall Street Journal that there was a massive surge in sales of bounty paper towels over the summer, and Clorox reported its customers will continue to see a shortage of wipes and other products into 2021. So that is not a great outlook. I'll pass this to you, Joey. Do you think we'll see another round of major shortages like we did in March? Well, yeah, it's hard to predict the future um, with some, you know, that big of a question. I'd say at Chicory, we're kind of lucky because we basically sit on top of this network of 1,500 different cooking and food sites and connect all that content to grocery retail opportunities to allow people to go from content to commerce very seamlessly. And so the insights that we're collecting every single day and every single week essentially shows that, and the retailers know this and the the brands know this, that this trend of home cooking and stocking up has not really slowed down. Yes, consumers are not panic buying, but we have not returned to uh, home cooking and food buying trends, again, that you saw you know, pre-COVID. And so what that says to me is that this isn't a secret. Like Everyone knows that this is happening. Everyone's preparing for it. And again, it's not like this is what we saw in February and March with these panic buy moments, but that the CPG community and the grocery retail community have time to prepare. And you know, it, that speaks to that it's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, The consumers are buying more. And many are practicing better cleaning practices, which is why they need more cleaning product to begin with. And so, you know, I think the pressure right now is just really on the supply chain and the supply side and not necessarily the retailers. And just to make sure that long term, they're meeting the demand that already exists today. The other trend that we're going to see over the holidays is that all of the family events and and big cooking occasions and big grocery shopping occasions are going to look very, very differently this year than they did in the past. And so we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. You know, again, at Chicory, we're starting to see certain trends of like, how is, you know, what people are cooking going to change and what they ultimately shop for going to change. But we know that it's going to be fewer larger events. And so I think that also helps to decrease pressure on the supply chain and on that entire system. So I'm pretty optimistic that we're in a really good position for the holidays because things haven't let up and it's just going to look very differently than it has in the past. Mm -hmm. You said the pressure is on the supply side, maybe even more so than the grocery retailers themselves. Guy, do you agree with that? You know, when I look at that situation and uh, where we're heading with the second wave uh, here in Israel, it's already the second wave and in the US, uh, it might just get uh, accelerated. But um, when I look at that, I think the smaller retailers will always have that challenge because they are built to keep a very minimal in-house inventory. 
I think the larger chains like Walmart and Target and the Costco and these guys, you know, they're changing their inventory modeling. So it's a very different ballgame for them and it's a data game and they know how to prepare to times like that. So I think if we see shortage, we'll see shortage maybe in the local stores, but I think we'll see more availability in uh, the bigger chains. I think the other challenge though, and that's very important, you might have the inventory, but remember in times of COVID, people want to buy online. Even in post-COVID, people will remain on buying online, at least the majority. Why would I go and do errands of uh, two hours to go to the grocery shop if I, you know, for the last year I did it on my phone and it just works great and I can use those two hours to run on my trade meal? Just as an example, when you think about their challenge, it's not just to have the inventory, but it's actually, can I get it on time to my customer? Because you might have the inventory, but if it takes you two weeks or even one week to get to your customer, to them, it means that you don't have the inventory. And it goes back again to how do you scale up and how do you optimize your last mile operations? So you even when you have the inventory available, you can make it accessible, available, and valuable to everyone when they order that, and there is no delay in that. And for that, we see many grocers spending a lot of uh, efforts on that. Uh, we have customers like uh, Albertson and Hy-Vee and uh, Metro, that this is a strategic initiative for them. And they're taking the time to understand the entire digital scene and what exactly needs to happen in order not just to have the right inventory, but also make it convenient, cost-effective, and fast to all their consumers. I think that's a really good point. And actually, if you look back at what happened in March and April, some of the grocery retailers that even we work with, um, they built their sites were getting slammed with so much traffic on a daily basis. And so many people were trying to order that they actually had to build essentially kind of paywalls in front of their websites, like whole other websites that almost put you on a timer and would text you like, hey, in 30 minutes, you're going to be able to be on this website for five minutes. And we got access to that because it kind of affected all of our integrations with all these different retailers. And so there was definitely a scramble. And a lot of these retailers were absolutely not prepared from a technical infrastructure perspective to deal with that. I think, I guess my hope is, as Guy said, you know, with with a couple of the major grocery retailer players in the US that they've spent the last six months and, and we know they have building that underlying technology infrastructure. Grocery retailers are not technology companies, you know, they're logistics companies, they're food companies. And I think all of this has essentially forced them to become technology companies in a really positive way. But it's a huge challenge. It's definitely a huge challenge because I do remember that happening where some grocers or delivery services would have that you're in line, basically the queue. And that happened with some friends in Europe as well. So is that something that's still going on? Did they come up with a different solution or did the queuing solution work and will continue to work if there is another wave? Yeah, so so they all built a lot better uh, ways to scale their systems. I mean, basically what happened around that time is, you know, you're used to just use some round numbers, you know, 100 people visiting your website an hour and suddenly 10,000 people are trying to visit your <laughs> website an hour, right? Like what's going to happen? The website's going to crash, right? And so it, it, that goes back to what I was saying of grocery retailers and they want to get there need to become technology companies. Then they need to work with vendors that can help them scale and they need to take the 
tech element of all of this very, very seriously. And I think they have. That's not still happening. If you go to the grocery retailer websites today, and again, traffic is still up. They are still seeing massive increases in online ordering. This hasn't slowed down. Panic buying has stopped, but the move to digital and the move to online grocery has not really slowed down in a meaningful way, not back to where it was before. And so they're prepared. I think they're ready. We certainly have a lot of faith in our grocery retail partners and all the technical strides they've taken over the last six months. And I'll just say on that, and um, it's a great point. And I, and I think we are at the very unique point of the digital consumer era, where I also expect the supply side of the equation to come together into an open network and be able to stand up to the needs of the retailers. Because if things are moving online, uh, those that really perfected them, it's those large marketplaces like Amazon. And they're using a lot of technology and they built a very smart logistic network. But if you look at the open market in terms of all the supply forces that you have there, a consolidation of that will give the retailers so much more power in being efficient and be able to compete against other marketplaces. So it's not only on the retailers, the two sides here. We always like to call it uh, at Brink as the yin and the yang. You have the retailers that are dependent on logistics and logistics that are dependent on retailers. One cannot exist without the other. And both of them need to go through this digital transformation and be able to work in a very open network. Mm -hmm. And I like that phrase. Well, today we had Guy Block, CEO of Bring, and we had Joey Petraka, co-founder of Chicory. Thank you both for joining. Super enjoyed your insights, and I hope to see you back on the show in the future. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.